0: This is episode two of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. I am Josh Bolin, and I am again talking to a talented filmmaker that works in the low-to-micro-budget filmmaking realm. Today, I am sticking with Ask for Jane uh, again and talking to Rachel Carey, who is the writer-director of the film. So, let's get rolling. Uh, I am here at the uh, San Francisco Indie Fest, uh, again, with uh, the writer-director of Ask for Jane.
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Rachel. Uh,
0: and, uh, again, I'm Josh Folan, and this is the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. Uh, okay, let's just cut into it. The, the first thing I like to ask people is... Uh, What was the first dollar, or rather the first dollar that you earned in the entertainment industry uh, as a professional? What was it, and how did you get the job?
1: Oh, yeah, so I was doing another job. I was a high school teacher, and I wasn't happy doing that, so I got an internship. Teaching
0: teaching what in high school? I was
1: teaching high school English, and there was a day, I liked my students, I hated the job, and there was a day I was driving to work, and I literally thought if I had a car wreck and I slowed down enough, I probably wouldn't die, but I wouldn't have to go in today. <laughs> so so that was bad. That's so, not a good indicator. Of no, you know. and I was like, I don't want to turn into that teacher who hates the students because I should be doing something else. So I applied and got an internship at Good Machine in New York, which was one of the top indie powerhouses at the time, along with killer films.
0: Ted Hope. Ted Hope. And Ted yeah.
1: Um, I'm reading her second book Yeah, Christine Boshan was with Killer, although they sometimes paired up. um, But it was Ted Hope and James Seamus, who's now with Focus. And both really cool, interesting guys. So that was not paid, and I had to work nights and weekends to support myself. I did SAT tutoring on the weekends because it paid my rent while I worked full-time at a job I wasn't paid at. And then after that, the very first paid job I got was I got a job through a temp agency that used to work with film and television. And I got a temp job first with Vogue magazine, which was insane, and then with Artisan Entertainment and their marketing department. And I got hired there full-time to help the guy who cut their trailers. And they were sort of hot shit at the time because... They had just done the marketing for the Blair Witch Project. So their marketing people thought that, you know, they, they were, they were kind of powerhouses in the indie world in, in their own marketing way too. So that was my very first. And then in, uh, Good Machine hired me back for a couple of jobs in casting after that. Uh, and I sort of, I left the artisan job after learning how to cut movie trailers, which was fun, uh, to work on In the Bedroom, which was my first indie film. Uh, and then, directed by Todd Field, I was the casting assistant, I went on to be a PA, I was really excited when I got my first walkie, <laughs> which is so, embarrassing. So I, avoided the play, I yeah, loved was it, I was, like, I was like, that's a copy! Uh, I was so excited. But that was the first indie film, and then it got nominated for Best Picture, um, and it was a $2 million budget. So I feel like I got really spoiled on how cool independent film was, and that was the late... 90s when independent film was super cool and then went to film school at NYU. By the time I got out Good Machine was basically gone and the whole indie scene between about 99 and 2004 really radically changed. So, so it was sort of a different world I came out to than I went into film school.
0: Right. Yeah, that was definitely a super cool proving ground. I've told you before, my affinity for, for, for Ted Hope.
1: Here's a, here's a story. The very first day of the, first, the, the film internship, first day I ever worked in film, they were like, hey, we're doing a lunch for the interns. Already free lunch. Wow. And then what they did was showed us dailies from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon from Western China that were like the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And I was like, this is amazing. Independent film is amazing. And it wasn't all like that. But that was a good first day. Yeah, that is a so. good
0: nice deceiving head start. For, for <laughs> right. first, first taste I of didn't
1: it. know yet. I thought it was all sunshine and roses.
0: Yeah. You didn't even get a free lunch on Ask for Jane, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right. So, yes, getting to Ask for Jane. Uh, give me the elevator pitch your elevator pitch of Ask for Jane.
1: So Ask for Jane is based on a true story. It is based on a group known as the Janes, or sometimes called the Jane Collective, who ran an underground abortion ring in late 60s, early 70s Chicago. So it started with one, in in real life, it started with one woman giving out the name of an abortion doctor who was safe and reliable from her dorm room phone and she sort of handed it off to a group who expanded and ran it as like a spy network in Chicago helping women get safe abortions before it was legal.
0: That The spy network part of that is a very good elevator pitch component, that sounds like that. It really like ups the, you know what I mean? I don't know. It just, makes, just gives it like this commercial component that maybe... Well, that's
1: why I love <laughs> it. I mean, I like... I'm not... I wouldn't say I approached it partly because I if I'm the kind of person, if you said, hey, do you want to go see an abortion movie? I would probably have said no, because that sounds so sad. And it sounds like everybody's going to die. And it's you know, and and even I'm, when I pick movies, I'm not always eager to see really, really depressing movies. And so this one, I was like, wait, the characters are really active. And there's this fun, almost heist movie element to trying to, being criminals, trying to pull off something. And so I I felt like you could get at the political and, and social elements of it without it being incredibly sad the whole time. So
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, I of course know this, but just for the sake of the listener. Uh, what was, rather were your roles on it? and how did you first come to the, the project?
1: So my roles were writer and director. <laughs> small ones and, small roles <laughs> I came to it so I knew Kate Leo. we were in a theatre company that also sort of doubles as a writer's workshop uh, together called The Shelter so we would bring in pages and stuff and she had acted in a piece I'd written which strangely enough was a, a for a night of Shakespeare-inspired stuff, and I'd written this short play in iambic pentameter, and I later realized that was the only piece of my writing she'd ever heard when she decided I should write the screenplay, which is <laughs> astonishing. Uh, so she she heard this story and, and asked me if I would write it. She wanted a sort of a more experienced writer to help craft the idea she had for a film and I was really excited by it and thought it could be and should be a film in a way that like, this should exist so let's try to do it and so then I wrote something that was okay uh, but we uh, as we were reaching out Judith Arcana got in touch with us who was a real Jane and gave a whole bunch of notes and I think it got a lot better and much more accurate I'm sure at that point.
0: Very cool. Cool, uh, and I know this is more my job and Kate's job, but just this everyone always wants to know these things uh, about a project. Um, how much time was spent fundraising, and what were the sources and percentages of those sources? So, not numbers, you know, like actual dollar amounts. So,
1: we did a Kickstarter, Kate and I, and we shot this tiny trailer for nothing, and then that ended up. Not raising enough for the film, but raising a, a portion of the film that I would say was, I don't know, 5% of what we ended up needing. But then we decided from there that Kate was going to go find the rest of it because she was really motivated and she just started contacting people, uh, including through NYWIFT, which is New York Women in Film and Television, This group we're both part of, and a couple of them came through and essentially financed the rest of the project for us. So we were targeting women in film and television who might find the subject matter exciting or more Kate than me because she's more charming than I am.
0: so, <laughs> yeah, so equity based. The, the yeah, the it's funny uh I never talked to Kate earlier. Like I'd never heard the going through the list one by one thing and just reaching out. I had never heard that. That's, yeah. that's if it, I you know I said there's if I don't know if I've ever heard a better example of the uh, the necessary filmmaker mentality to just you have to just throw it until it sticks. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Like she literally wrote almost everyone no that has to be nothing with. to <laughs> um, who well, she
1: thought you know might might be interested in it. But I also think Kate is very very optimistic relative to me and I think that may have been a factor that she wasn't just motivated she thought someone would say yes and I think I'm often motivated but I just assume everyone will say no and I think she was useful working with me because she just was a sunny optimist (laughs) with regard to that.
0: That she uh, is without a doubt. (laughs) Uh, cool. So uh, nuts and bolts then of the production. So uh, rather than just listening to all of so we'll go through one by one. But uh, how many shoot days? 24. 24. How many script pages?
1: What was it? A hundred or so? I can't remember. And I wrote it. <laughs> it was between 100 and 110 or something. I don't okay. know.
0: Uh, I think Kate's guess was 108, I think. And that sounds, yeah. perhaps. Sounds right. Uh, number of speaking roles?
1: 74... Something
0: like that. Average daily crew headcount?
1: Oh boy, uh, I don't know.
0: I mean, you yeah, know, again, just around about
1: 20? I don't know because the cast was so fluctuating day to day. But it was a small key, I mean, our s- crew was tiny in terms of key crew. You know, it felt like 10 core people plus a few others. Here and there, but yeah, I don't it, have. Them. It was upwards of
0: twenty. It was, between, yeah. about between twenty-five and thirty a day. Yeah. Uh, this is. I, I am right. This is. This would be. This was fun to hear both of your answers to. I don't. Know. <laughs> I, I yeah, sense yeah, yeah. that. I
1: mean, I only know that because I remember vaguely the catering headcount, but right. you know, I, it's when you're the director, it's kind of in your field of vision. Right. I think. No, again, <laughs> and, this. And this and is not your so job. Smaller, but That's why it's funny to hear your answer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, the number of locations.
1: I have been told over 50. It was a lot of locations. It was nuts.
0: 54. 54 locations. Yeah, it was a lot. Uh, and then, uh, you, I'd be shocked if you knew this, but for the question I like, because food is such a, a critical component to uh, cast and crew morale and just the, the system working. Uh, properly, everyone has to be well fed. So the last of these questions is the estimated cost per plate for meals, and from where, whom those meals were sourced, or like where, where what were they sourced from? So, uh,
1: well, we had a we had a cater, right,
0: which not, that's the thing is not everyone will answer that. Uh, yes, <laughs> <we had laughs> Interview an independent filmmaker. She but,
1: was great.
0: Yeah, she was fantastic. Kate and I actually did a whole segment on like yes, basically pitching uh, uh, Joanne to anyone who would be listening to this and shooting something in New York. Uh, she's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the cost per plate, enough Caden got it down to like a ridiculous amount of money that uh, was way below uh, market, basically because Kate's amazing. <laughs> I think nine was our was our decided collective guess nine bucks a plate, which is would, super cheap right. <laughs> for pretty good food.
1: Well, we also didn't go to second meal much. I mean, I was no. t- tried to be conscious of time on the shoot, so that was rare. I was on. Which helps.
0: Yes, I was on. Uh, um, Andrew's back a great deal about that. We could not afford second meals, there's no question about that.
1: No.
0: Uh, okay, so where in the production timeline flow chart uh, are we right now? Just to give some context to like your answers we to these have questions.
1: shown at how many? Eight or so festivals? I think we have ten or so acceptances and we are talking with a likely distributor. Eloquently
0: put, eloquently put. Uh, yes. Yes. So late, but not at the end <laughs> in the flowchart. Um, okay. So that's enough of the context stuff. Uh, what was the most notable constraint from your perspective on the production? And like, obviously money is the, the biggest constraint, but what that, that having very little money caused was something you felt most prohibited by
1: time. I think the way that money played against time and and that was really challenging for me as a director and, you know and there were other things too in terms of you know crowd scenes and stuff like that but I think the way that in in effect time kept getting shorter because there wasn't money to spend to make things faster was the big constraint and part of that was look you know if you have 50 locations you're doing moves, and not only were we doing moves, but if we were shooting in a room, we were shooting 1968 and then 1973, and the characters didn't have the same hairdo in that room. So it was an incredibly hard shoot to do on a low budget for that reason too. But that was, that's how I would put it, the, the various ways that right. time was affected by money.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so that's, you know, obviously there are going to be restrictions that having very little money imposes on you. But do you recall a memorable benefit of budgetary restrictions? So you know, I found, I have a story that I canned all the time about how on uh, All Guys Creatures, my first feature, we needed a location, this claw machine location. And uh, the plan was for it to be in a the movie theater lobby, and we looked all over and Tried to find a bunch of movie theater lobbies, couldn't find one. And the whole time we were searching for this thing and failing, there was this shitty deli at the end of my block with the little claw machine game. And the movie is like this gritty New York thing. And if we'd have done that scene in a pretty mu- movie theater lobby, it wouldn't have been as good. You know, it, was, it being on a corner in Harlem was perfect for what the film was. And I never would have done that if we didn't have any money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or if we had money.
1: I'm not sure aesthetically that there's anything that comes to mind that I'm like, oh, it it landed better. I mean, I think we could be more pathetic, sincerely, about begging things like our friends to give us tons of locations because there really, really wasn't anything we were hiding that we could... Yeah, it doesn't have to be
0: aesthetic at all. But,
1: but, you know, and the other thing was we, you know, I think when you have that budget and you have a sort of run-and-gun attitude perforce about locations, sometimes, you know... it's easier to just go and, and get what you have to get, and sometimes we did that. So, in sometimes some cases, perhaps, <laughs> without all of the permits lined up, uh, including a, a various scenes. But, but I think that was, you know, that attitude pervades when it has to, and I think it did. And, and in many cases, it worked fine.
0: Worked fine. <laughs>
1: fine. <laughs> I'm tough got, on got to myself, and, and
0: so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you recall, and this is kind of is somewhat in the same spirit, uh, do you recall an instance of someone else in the production overcoming budgetary constraint and basically coming up with a solution, you're like, oh, god damn, that was a pretty good idea. <laughs> I didn't think they were going to do that well with this. <laughs> And not you know, of course not because you're lacking faith yeah. in their ability, but just because I didn't think you had the resources in order to achieve this, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Boy, I don't know. I mean I think that the producers were doing astonishing stuff in terms of getting us, you know, good sets and extras and, and a whole bunch of stuff within anyone other
0: than producers.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, like, like in the creative So we're not talking about me yeah, you know, I, I mean, I thought our our production design team did a lot with a little and it was a challenge for them to do period on nothing, basically or very little money and they they did a really nice job,
0: so. yeah So, kate that's what actually Kate brought up too was production design it's like. Yeah, it's, you know, because like from your perspective as a writer, it's interesting that you were astute enough to write this piece that is predominantly interiors, knowing that we wouldn't have the money to dress the street in New York into 1968. So uh, what that like, yes, it's good on the overall and it is cheaper than that alternative. It is a huge strain on production designers to have to. Achieve that in so many different locations with again our meter budget. So yeah, I, I I would agree that that's probably one of the areas I like. And it's funny too because I, I told this kid the story too, so I'll try to keep it a little shorter. But like the, you know the. PA production basically had to help out basically. No, no department yes. had enough people, so basically production was spent all this time where they were, you know, helping them out. And there was like this animosity between those two groups, and it's like it was a perfect example of like as from as the production manager perspective, like sitting these two, they're bickering about things because neither one of them have the things that they need or should have, or the time or whatever, you know. And they think the other person's other team's at fault, and it's like no one's at fault. Everyone just has to understand that. We don't have what we need and like there's going to be concessions and like everyone should just relax. <laughs> it, was, it was a perfect little indie film uh, in a uh, ecosystem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. uh, what is the biggest mistake on the project you have made today?
1: Boy, uh, all I see are mistakes, so so I'm no good with this, but I think one thing I personally feel is that I really wanted and didn't push hard enough to screen it for a group before picture lock, and for an, a number of reasons, um, including my communications with the editor who sort of thought, told me he was going to get some feedback from people and then never did, but there are, you know, there, there was the limits of our budget were the limits of our budget, but there were things I could have made better if I had seen it screen with a group of people that would have just been like, for example, if certain shots just weren't working and looked low budget, there were some I thought I needed that I really didn't need that I could have just lifted out of the film. So that's, I think, my single biggest I kicked myself for it.
0: A lack of studio test screening. Not, <laughs> not test screening.
1: Literally sitting with twenty people who haven't seen it okay. because then you know when it's slow and you don't really know when you're watching it on your own. And I'm a fairly, you know, I'm a fairly good editor for, you know, in not not that I was editing, but I can see tempo reasonably well. But there are times when. There was stuff we didn't need and stuff that wasn't working that I thought we needed and we could have lifted. And that's the stuff that bothers me. No, of
0: course, yeah. Without, if you're not in the room with the people, it's hard to make, you know, when they start touching, the, are they touching their phone right now? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing I would push the hardest for on another film is to make sure that happens. Because once picture is locked on something that's low budget, that's it, really. You know, right. um, because everything else follows from there and I think there were things we I could have caught that, that I didn't because I didn't see it out of that context.
0: Yeah, we had so much of the, the festival pressure too, the festival timing pressure, we were like up against it from the start too you know it so was that,
1: insane. Yeah. The schedule for this pre production and post production on both ends were insane and that was another challenge.
0: Yes, three weeks of pre on this is Pretty insane. Yeah. <laughs> Find fifty fifty four locations uh, in three weeks. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Hats off to you, Tim. I for, I guess he didn't get all fifty four by this by day one. But even if by, by the by time, time for, we need to be there, <laughs> and have
1: never done locations before. Right. That was he was a brave soul.
0: Yes, that's one of the t- location managing and ad are like the two like just imp- borderline impossible jobs that are just there's no one's ever gotten enough appreciation and credit for having done them well. You know, yeah. it's funny, when I talk to
1: newbies about locations, everyone goes, that sounds so awesome, because they think location scout, I would drive around, I'd go to cool buildings, and then you go no, but then there's the part of it where you have to explain to somebody why you just punched a hole in their wall, and they're really mad at you, and they want everyone out, and you have to make sure everyone doesn't have to leave. And then everyone goes, "Oh no, I don't want that job at all." Yeah. No, it's the managing the humans that's the hardest part of that one.
0: And, then, and you know, and also too, especially this is of course applicable to independent film. If you work working on Law and Order, you have five thousand dollars to give, and this is not an issue. But yes. or more, but uh, in independent, you have your. You're doing the, you know, you're doing the negotiation of, yes. of those uh, locations being secured. So you don't. You're, at, you're asking for free shit. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't
1: poke a hole in anyone's wall right. on this, but there was that sense of, you know, just managing people who don't necessarily want you suddenly in their space is right. Challenging, and or even they've yeah, come up.
0: Yeah, so. and then if the, once they did it too, you know, they're doing you a favor, so it's not the same arrangement as you paying a full price for something where they're just like, okay, we've received money here, we have to just let them do what they want. They have insurance, we gotta, you know, it's part of the, literally the paperwork deal to just get out of the way. When it's a favor, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, when are you guys leaving? I thought you guys were leaving. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> um, cool. So that's pretty, Yeah, that's keep them short and sweet. The, how can we follow the project and are there any dates of note uh, that you would say festival-wise or whatever?
1: Sure, so you can follow the project, we're on Facebook at askforjane and askforjane.com and we are screening at a couple more festivals coming up and then possibly a couple more after that to be announced, but uh, most recently in the Big Apple Film Festival in New York, Thursday, February 7th, and then the Athena Festival Saturday, March 2nd in also New York City. And then possibly we'll be hitting the Midwest after that, but we have to see. Yes. Well, we have Fargo is announced. Fargo is announced, yes. And that will be March. Third week of March. Yeah. yeah, Like
0: the 18th or 19th, something like that. Um, Cool. Great. The closing thing I like to ask or I want to ask is define the phrase independent filmmaking as you see it.
1: (laughs) Independent filmmaking is sort of collective insanity for art's sake.
0: And that puts a button on this. How can we find you, social-wise, or, uh, or is there anything else you want to schlep?
1: Not yet. No. I'm at rachelcarrie.net, but I'm not announcing anything exciting coming up okay. as far as I so. am. Okay.
0: Cool. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was episode two of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. Uh, thank you to Rachel for taking time out of her schedule at SF Indie Fest to sit down and have a coffee with me and talk about the film. Uh, if you want to follow the pod, you can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Android. Tune in and please do rate and review uh, if 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 you'd be so kind so other people can find this thing and, and hear what these people are saying. And if you want to follow me... My Twitter's at Josh Folan. My Instagram is at my shift key is broke. And you can check out my production company website at nyehentertainment.com. And uh till next time, thanks for listening again.